0: So we're going to continue right now uh, with the end time series that Pastor Lee has been teaching on. I think this will be number five or so. Um, And what he's been talking about primarily was Daniel's vision of those four kingdoms. It was that initial vision that Daniel had of that statue. And God was showing him what was to come. Those powers that were to come. Those empires that were to rule. As well as Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. And uh, and as then last week I believe he was last two weeks he was speaking about those seals that were broken in Revelation the scroll that was handed uh, to Jesus there was no one in heaven there was no one that was able to proceed with the events the unfolding of time itself except for Jesus Christ and what made him worthy to do it was that he was the Lamb that was slain isn't that amazing. That all of eternity, all of the events that had to take place, or as Felix was saying this morning, the very fact of the judgment of God and the cleansing away of evil on the earth, it was through that sacrifice of Jesus to be enabled to do that. So are you guys able to pull up that slide that I have? Yeah, okay. If you want to go ahead and pull that up right here. So Pastor Lee gave a list of events, and it's, sometimes it's, it's good to see it in list form, But in the order of the events, he spoke about this, that we as a church, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. To follow that would be the tribulation period, which really just means a great time of judgment, God's judgment upon the earth, followed by the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign, the millennium, a thousand years of Jesus Christ, followed by the battle of Gog and Magog, when after the millennial reign, at the end of the book of Revelation, it says that Satan is loosed for a time, and somehow he is able to convince many people who had not really bowed the knee to Christ, even during his reign, truly in the heart, as the sand on the sea to come against him, and then God just wipes them out with fire from heaven, and Satan is thrown into the pit forever and ever into the lake of fire. And uh, then the great white throne judgment at which the lost will be judged and they will be brought up from hell itself. Hell is not the end for the unbeliever. The lake of fire is the end for the unbeliever. Hell is just a holding place for judgment and then eternal judgment. And after this, the new heavens, the new earth, the eternal kingdom, every tear will be wiped away. No more sin, no more evil. No more corruption, no more hearing loss, no more bad sight, no more sickness, no more flu, no more any of that. No more wars, no more violence, no more racism. Nothing else, no stain of the fall will remain in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's going to be a very, very exciting time. Amen. Hallelujah. And you can keep that up. So, what I'd like to do, the reason I put this up there, is I want to jump in at the tribulation period. Pastor Lee, I was listening to his message from a week or two ago, and I had this thought, and I, and I thought that would be the direction for this message. And then later in the message, he brought that out as a point And I'd like to latch on to that point, and it is this The tribulation is God's just judgment. God's just judgment. It is an unjust thing not to discipline a child. It's an unjust thing to discipline them incorrectly. And that is something that every parent has to learn, right? How to do what is right in the right way. But this is not a problem that God has. This is not something that he has to learn. We are very conditioned as humans, even as saved people, to justify ourselves. Well, my intentions were good. It doesn't matter. If we've done wrong, we should just own up to it, repent, make right with God or the person and move on. We should never seek to preserve ourselves. But when God judges, it is completely just. There's no wickedness in him. There's no twist in God. There's no bent in God. There is no underlying motive. There's no sin. And so that means there's no pride. And there's no unjust anger or unjust wrath. There is wrath. But there's just wrath and holy wrath. He does it. And he withholds to the last second. He, just like a father would say, I'm going to give you an opportunity here to tell me the truth. I want you to. Because you know what the punishment will be. So I'm going to give you a chance. It's better for you if you just tell me. And if you say, yes, daddy, I did do that thing. Good. Now, I'm not going to discipline you like that. I'm glad you've told me the truth. Let's, let's address this issue and let's move on. But when the heart is stubborn, when the heart is hard, when the heart refuses to confess, to, to repent, to humble itself, then God, can, God cannot stay his judgment. He has to let it loose. And so I want to talk about this today. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture today because I feel like most of us, many of us perhaps have never read the book of Revelation, have only read bits and pieces of Revelation, or it's been a long time since we've read Revelation. And rather than someone getting into a pulpit and saying, this is a thing and that's a thing, when we read it together and you read it yourself and you hear the scriptures yourself, your faith And your understanding of God and his purposes are so much surer because you have read it and you have heard it yourself. And then whenever I speak and I bring encouragement or teaching or exhortation, you then can judge those things and test those things yourself by the word of God. So if you would, open your Bibles. I'm going to be reading again, as I always do, out of the ESV. Nothing wrong with the King James. I love it, but this is my preferred version. And I just say that so that if you have it, you can follow along. And if not, feel free to read whatever version you've got, whatever translation you have. But I do put them up here so, for lack of distraction, so that you might be able to read along as well and, and not be distracted by that. So what is the book of Revelation? It is the revealing of Jesus, his judgment. His wrath, his kingdom in full, right? It's, it's not all locusts and fire and earthquakes. There's joy. There are new beginnings. It's a return of man to a garden, to a tree of life. The tree of life that was lost at the beginning and the presence of God that was lost at the beginning. At the very end of the book, we are returned to God's presence and eternal life, never to be broken away from him again. And there's a river and there's a tree. And so we can see that God is bringing us back to himself and his original purposes, but at great cost to himself. And the overarching thing that I would love for us to look at today is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He's more than a lamb. You know, Jesus is very misunderstood and oftentimes crafted in whatever culture, whatever context, to be our buddy, to be someone who backs my lifestyle I remember I was, uh, and when I was in school, I had to take certain credits, and one was more of a uh, feminist class, and it was the only one available. And I just kind of begged the person. I was like, "This has nothing to do with what I'm studying. Is there something else?" And. Uh, there are very limited options once you got to your senior year of college. You know, you're just whittled down. And there was one other. It was called 1968, a global year. And it dealt with all of the protests all over the earth, whether it was from the Czech Republic and they were protesting against the Soviets, whether it was in the Mexican uh, students protesting against a uh, dictatorial government, whether it was in America where it was peace and love instead of war. Um, and one thing that they talked about a lot in that time was liberation theology. The idea that Jesus, when he came, came to liberate us, not from sin, but from the shackles of hard people in humanity. It's Marxism cloaked. And when it showed a picture, one of these pictures of Jesus from that movement was Jesus on the cross, crossed with bullets and slings across his chest because Jesus was a revolutionary, right? But those in the liberation theology movement, as strange as that sounds, crafted a Jesus to the making. Many may not paint that picture and may not go to that extreme, but they're, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. Well, what kind of a Jesus? Is it The biblical Jesus who died for your sin? Oh, yeah, yeah, he died for my sin. That demands that you bow the knee to him, repent, and make him the Lord of your life? Oh, no, not that. Well, then that's not the biblical Jesus. He's not just a lamb. He is a lion as well. And lions devour, destroy, and they roar, and they have authority. And he is both. He is both. He may have come humbly at the beginning. He may have come to lay his life down at the first. But at the second, every tribe and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And Lord, if you would have put that into the very words of the first Christians, would have been Christ is Caesar. Christ is Lord. Not Caesar is Lord. Not Caesar is God. Christ is Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's love, but he is also justice. If God were only love, then when man sinned in the garden, he never would have kicked man out if God was only love. If God was only justice, God would have destroyed humanity the moment that Eve and then maybe Adam wouldn't even have had a chance to bite the fruit, right? Eve would have just gone if it was pure justice. But love and justice met at the cross and at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is love and justice. He's a kind, gentle Lord. But he is also, and we have, to, we have to take both of these things in hand, he's also a wrathful God. A wrathful God. But like I said before, it is just and true. These are the things that our humanity kind of buck up against because we've never seen that on earth. We hear wrath, we think terrible things, right? We say love, and we think of it in our terms. But let's open it up to Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to read through this entire chapter together. And I want us to see what is going to unfold on the earth. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. It says this. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. Who's opening it? The lamb. And who's the lamb? So who approves of what's about to take place? I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now notice this is not Christ. Christ is in heaven opening the seals. And what is happening is unfolding on earth. There's a man coming in on a white horse, which, is, which would denote victory. And he has a bow, and that is absolutely for war, it says. And he begins to conquer the earth. This is the Antichrist. and three quarts of barley for Denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So we see the cost of food is going up. There are issues in the food supply upon the earth. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And there they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and wild beasts. There's a promise of vengeance of the blood of those that followed Christ and all that is poured out on the earth. But what's the response of man in all of this? Because a lot of times in our flesh, we could be like, wow, look, look at all the stuff God's doing. But don't just look at what God's doing. Let's watch man as we read this book. What did man do? Verse 15 to 17, it says this. The kings, great ones, everybody hid themselves... Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. From he who sits on the throne in the wrath of the Lamb, the day of their wrath has come and who can stand? They realize they're being judged. Every single person on the earth knows where all of this is coming from. It's not a question. It says it right here. Hide us from who? From God the Father. And from the Lamb, Jesus, their wrath has come. But what do they do? Do they repent? Get a hand, Mike. Amen. They do not repent. Hide us from the wrath of God. It's the same thing that man did in the garden, wasn't it? He sinned against God. Instead of running to God, what did he do? He hid from God. He knew within himself the judgment that was to come for God said, do not eat. And he ate anyway. In Revelation chapter eight, verses one through five, we're told this to complete these seals. uh, Revelation eight, one through five. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. It's amazing, right? Our prayers are there as incense before God. And what does he do with them? The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. Verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Then we see this. I'll kind of highlight some of these things for time's sake. Hail, fire, mixed with blood, thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All green grass was burned up. Verse 8. A second trumpet. And then a mountain, something like a great mountain, it says, burning with fire thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures died, and a third of the ships destroyed. Verse 10, third angel blows his trumpet. A star falls from heaven, blazing like a torch, falls upon a third of the river, springs of water, and the waters are made bitter, and people died from drinking it because it had become bitter. This isn't just a little bitter. This is bitterness as in death causing bitterness. Verse 12, the fourth angel blows his trumpet. The third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, third of the stars. third of the light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. But what is man doing? What is his response? I don't hear anything from humanity of God, you're right and I'm wrong. God, please forgive me. God, I bow the knee. God, you know, if it's the lamb, they know he's the lamb. Well, what was the lamb? The lamb of God, what? Slain to take away sins of the earth. They're not repenting. They're not turning. What we really see here is a just judgment of God upon hard hearted and rebellious humanity. Unless we should think they are different than us. I know we're saved. But as humans, there's no difference. What we see played out here is the zenith. It's the top of the pyramid, as it were. The the very point, the pinnacle of humanity's battle and rebellion against God that started in the garden. And has been played out ever since then. Ever since then. The fourth seal is broken there's an eagle that flies overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. And the blasts of the other trumpets and the three angels that are about to blow. God is actually being merciful. Even in the midst of judgment. If you thought that was bad and you still haven't turned to me. Woe unto you at what is about to be uncovered. And what is about to be poured out on the earth. God is just in his judgment. The fifth angel blows his trumpet. Star falls from heaven to earth. And this is an angel. And it's a bottomless, he opens a bottomless pit. And from that pit come ungodly creatures. It says this in verse 3 of chapter 9. From the smoke came locusts on the earth. They were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree. But where were they to direct all of their pain-inducing abilities, but only on those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. To those rebels who reject God, focus yourselves upon them. Focus yourselves on those who still deny and reject me. Even after all I've done, don't you get it? God could have rolled this whole thing up at the snap of his fingers. Don't you see that if he had just been just a judge and just wrathful, boom, gone, wake up in the lake of fire, done. But we see the pouring out slowly of God upon the earth. If these people would just turn, if they would soften their hearts to God, to the king of kings. that We're told in verse 5 forward that their torment is so awful that people want to kill themselves. But they are not able to. They cannot kill themselves. Death evades them. I can only imagine, I don't know what it's going to be like. Someone jumps off of a cliff and they hit the ground and they get up. And to their utter amazement and shock, all they feel is the pain, perhaps of the job, but for sure of these scorpions that have been biting and stinging and cutting them. And yet they don't turn to God. They do not turn to him. We're then told in verses 11 to 12 that there comes a king, there comes a demon, from this bottomless pit named Abaddon, or in Greek he's called Apollyon. We meet him fictionally in the Pilgrim's Progress there, and he is Pilgrim's chief foe. But here in Scripture, we see him as being in this pit, and he is unleashed. The sixth angel blows his trumpet, and there's a voice from the four horns of the golden archer before God verse 14 saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who were bound at the great river euphrates the four angels who had been prepared for the hour the day the month and the year were released to kill a year of mankind a third of mankind the number of mounted troops was twice ten thousand times ten thousand i heard their number and this is how i saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them they were breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur. Heads of the horses were like lion's head. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By fire, smoke, and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them, they wound. And what does mankind do? Verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons, idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The hardness. More than a stone of the heart of man to refuse. I will not give this up. And maybe perhaps that's why a lot of people don't get saved. There's a need for the gospel to go out. There's a need for us to live the gospel and to speak the gospel everywhere we go in our homes, to our families and our children, to our neighbors, in our workplaces, everywhere, not in some condemning way, just give a gospel tract and feel like we've done it. And that's, it's good to give a gospel tract, but if you've got someone to form a relationship with them, to live out being a written epistle before them and to speak those words of salvation to them. But at the end of the day, if they don't get saved, it might not be you. They might just want their sin more. Because if we're all honest, if all of us heard the gospel and we were being drawn by God, there was hardness of heart within us. And for a while, we wanted our own sin more than we wanted God because there was pleasure in it. But I just don't understand the lack of repentance here. But I don't want to say that's them because I know that in my flesh and apart from God, I'm just like them. I cannot look down upon them. But I wish they would just repent because it breaks my heart whenever I see this. And when I read this, it's like, won't you just turn to the Lord? Won't you just come to him? Don't you see his love for you? He's already given his life for you. And now he's slowing down your death and judgment for you. God would then go forward and, and uh, Revelation 11 and there are two witnesses that are given the ability to call down fire from heaven. They're given the ability to call drought on the earth. And yet the people don't repent when they know that these two prophets, these two witnesses are from God. Chapter 11, verse four says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. I mean, some weird, wacky stuff is going on on the earth, right? These guys are opening their mouth and fire is coming forth. And you know that they are representatives of God in heaven. Like never has the line been drawn more clearly and allegiances been just more evident than at this time. You are either for Christ and you or you are against him. They call out and shut the sky. There's no rain during the days of the prophesying and they can even turn waters into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And what is humanity's response? Verse eight, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord is crucified. So it's speaking of Jerusalem. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. They will not bury these people. They're just going to let their bodies sit in the street and let the animals devour them. And those who dwell on earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Praise God, the prophets of the lamb and of the one on the throne are dead. You know, here's a gift card. Oh, let's throw a party. Let's have cake and punch here. Let's do this. Let's party. It's done. We've got rain coming on the earth now again. There's no more drought now because of these two men. So instead of softening their hearts, instead of humbling themselves before God, it is let's throw a party. I remember also in college, I was outside of the library one day, and I, I just didn't have the wherewithal to speak to these two guys, but one of them was saying, and it was during final week, and I guess in finals week, everyone's very exhausted, and they just, they just talk. But he was saying, yeah, man, I wouldn't want to go to heaven anyway, because all they ever show it looking like is people on a, on, a, uh, on a cloud playing a harp, which is a very Catholic, non-biblical rendering of heaven. he said, I want to be in a party in hell, man. I want to be in a party in hell. As if that's what's going on and they're playing heavy metal and the bass line is really, you know, dropping on that thing. No, there's torment and there's wailing and there's gnashing of teeth. And yet these people are here. This shows what they really think of God. That same kind of heart and spirit. Rejoicing. Rejoicing for a moment that the heat is taken off of them. It kind of reminds me of Pharaoh, right? Right? Pharaoh would soften his heart for a moment, but he would harden it. But here we read of no softening. We only read of utter rebellion and rejection and hardness of heart. And it can still seem, but it's too much, God. You're too hard, God. Revelation fourteen six to 7 says this. God believes in mercy in the midst of judgment. And if we would read the other 65 books before we read Revelation, we would never accuse God. For he's the one who sent prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these people. How long? When will you turn? Come back to me, my people. Or like Hosea, you're like a harlot. You're like a prostitute who's prostituted yourself with all these people. But come back to me and I'll marry you and I'll receive you back to myself. That's the heart of God. You have to see God and all the rest of scripture or else you'll take them out of context. But if you just want to jump into Revelation, then you could look at verses 6 and 7 of 14. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel, good news to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, we know from the book of Revelation that there are some who take the mark of the beast. And once they take this, there is no turning back. But if the gospel is being preached like this by an angel, what this tells me is there are some who have not taken that and have the ability to believe, have the ability to repent, have the ability to trust in God. There is mercy in the midst of God's judgment. Many other things are poured out on the earth. We're talking about seven plagues and seven bowls. But in verses five to seven, there's a song that is sung by an angel. And he says this Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. Why, God, did you bring such terrible judgments? For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. God's judgments are just and true. Many would speak ill or misunderstand the death penalty. As an aside here. But I don't think we understand the importance of man and his image bearing to God. In the garden, it says we are made in the likeness of God. The fall happens, death comes in, Murder comes in. Polygamy comes in. The two things get ruined big time are. The image of God and murdering people. And marriage that was given. When um, Lamech takes two wives. We see these two things being completely corrupted. But after Noah and the flood. And he comes out. There's something very clear that God says. He says this in Genesis 9. And it's not up there. But go check it out. Genesis 9. I believe it's 5 and 6 or 6 and 7. And he says this. Whenever... The blood of man is shed by man's hand. Will that man's blood be shed? God demands judgment for the violence of man. This is pre-law. This was something given right at the time of the rainbow. That we must take very seriously what God has commanded. So from the beginning and to the end, what I want you to see from that point was the consistency of God. That when blood is shed, God will revisit his judgment upon that nation. What does that mean for us in America with over 60 million babies that have been murdered? What does that mean for North Korea? What does that mean for China? What does it mean for our societies when we allow ungodliness to go unpunished? God himself will take his hand and he will deal with it. And that is what we see here. But what is the ultimate goal of this judgment? What is the ultimate goal of throwing down Babylon there? And men can only weep for her because she made them rich. And they sold lots of goods there. And all they can think about, even in this, is my life and myself. I am God. The goal is to turn men to God and to judge the earth of its wickedness. Atheists will often say this. Why doesn't, if God's so good, why doesn't he just take away evil? Because if he did, you would cease to exist right now. Because you are evil. You're an enemy of God. And every lost person is. But guess how good he is? He wills that none should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is why I'm here speaking to you. Do not blame God for man's choice in the garden. Just like we were talking about at the academy this week, I asked them as we were talking about it. We we're going over Genesis, reading out loud. I said, what do you call someone who has no choice what they do? And they are forced to do something. They have no choice. A slave. And so without choice in the garden, man is nothing more than what? Yes. But when you're allowed a choice, you, you, you are now responsible for the choice, right? Very simply, that is the garden. And we see that right here as well in revelation, the choice of man. And I just want to say to all of you, maybe some of you here don't know the Lord. And I would say this, you're not a slave. You have a choice. You have a choice to turn to the Lord. You have a choice to agree with the conviction of the Holy spirit that you have sinned. Just like I've sinned. You have that choice. You have the choice to agree with God and to say, you know what? You're right, God. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to look to you. I'm repenting. I'm I'm turning and I'm saying, I see what you've done for me. I see how you have shed your blood on the cross for me. You loved me so much that you took the judgment of God on yourself that I would simply turn to you, trust to you, open my heart to you. The best I know how and just say, come in, forgive, be my king, be my Lord. I would be saved. I would be set free. He would actually come in and he would set you free right now. And he would help you to follow him every day of your life by his grace. But that is your choice. The second goal of God in this, if you would turn to Zechariah with me, is to bring the people of Israel to their knees. To bring them to your knees. If you go to the Old Testament, the very last book is Malachi and just before that is Zechariah. So, find Matthew, go back to Malachi, go back one more, you're at Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. We're told that Jesus is going to return, and he is going to split the mountain of olives in two at his second coming. He's going to ride into Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen to the people of Israel. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad-Rimmon, the plain of Megiddo. And it speaks about all the families that will mourn. And in chapter 13, verse one, it says of Zechariah, on that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. God is dealing with the earth in its judgment, but he made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, and he is a covenant keeping God. He has not abandoned those people, but he will deal with them. And even in all of this, he will bring them back to himself. The Apostle Paul realized this, and he wrote about this in Romans chapter 11, 26 to 27. When he was speaking about the people of Israel, he said this, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All of Israel will one day be saved. One day. That group of Israelites who actually see him at his returning. But what I want to ask you is, where are you right now with the Lord? You can say, I'm the 9 a.m. crowd. That does not matter. Where are you? Have you bowed your knee to Jesus? Do you truly trust him? Is this just a Sunday morning thing for you? Is this just a religious game? What is that? There is wrath and there is judgment, but oh, to those who would just take his hand, there are delights and loves in him. His presence is so sweet. His friendship is so wonderful. I really have never known a friend like Jesus I can remember the darkest times of my life, even as a believer with great question of what's going on. And I would take breaks from work and I I was next to a neighborhood and I would just go walk and I would just walk with Jesus and I would just pour out my heart to him. And you know what he did? He listened. He heard me. He directed me. There were times where I was struggling with things and he brought me to scripture and he showed me what was rotten in my own heart. Jealousy and bitterness or all sorts of things, but he didn't club me the head with it. I just invite you, even as believers, that we would let God be God, that we would never accuse him of hardness, that we would see his mercy and his gentleness and all of his deal, all of his dealings, and we would remove nothing from his character and we would never be ashamed of his attributes, even of his wrath. Don't you want to live in a world without sin? Don't you want a world with no more evil? If that's what you want, then there has to be a day of reckoning. And that day of the Lord is coming, and it is speeding upon us. But for those of, those of us who, in Carly, you can come up. For those of us who are looking for his appearing, there is great rejoicing. And there should also be a great sharing of the gospel. With everyone around us, with facts and truth like this, how can I not go make some cookies and bring them to my neighbor and try to establish a relationship? You know, if you've got an older neighbor, why don't you bring his or her trash cans in on trash day? You know, truly don't even say anything. Just do that a few times. And they realize, hey, you don't just want to save my soul. You actually care about me. You actually love me. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this. I thank you, God, for your truth. I thank you for your word. Lord, I am not ashamed of you, though sometimes in my humanity, I do not understand and cannot fathom all of your ways the wrath and everything that's going to be poured upon this earth. But Lord, I do agree that you are just and you are true. Lord, I just thank you that you extend your mercy to the lost, even in the midst of your judgment. And I thank you that you extend your mercy to everyone that is here. Even right now, Lord. And I pray that we would allow you to extend your hands of love and mercy through us, through all of us, We may have the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but Father, we are surrounded by over 550 or 60,000 people in the Baton Rouge area who know nothing of you, who are far from you, who may have a knowledge of you, but are lost. And if you were to come back today, would enter into the greatest judgment and tribulation that this world has ever known. Lord, I pray you would upset our apple carts. I pray you would upset our Monday through Saturdays. I pray this would not just be a Sunday thing. I pray that you would shift us and we would not see sharing the gospel as some legalistic bondage, but as joyful life. And Lord, we just love you. and We say that in Jesus' name.